0: I really don't like this concept of teaching people to see the person and not the disability. Then why can't people see a person with a disability and not freak out or not feel uncomfortable? You know, it's like that weird backhanded compliment that we get when people say, you know, oh, I don't think of you as disabled because you're my friend or you're really cool or because you're just like me. And can we not be all of those things? Can we not be cool and likable and people's friends but not also be proud of our disabilities. I kind of hope that we can. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR A55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Like some food for thought. Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy. <laughs> So glad you tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews, and today I'm going to be speaking with Madeline Shield about shame. Welcome to the
1: program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Could you give us a little bit of background
0: information about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am a white settler born in Mianjin or Brisbane, um, currently living and working on the lands of the Turrbal and Yagara people, who I'd also like to pay my respects to as the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording today. Um, I'm currently in the final year of my PhD in philosophy at the University of Queensland. Um, so I'm writing my thesis on the philosophy of shame. And I'm also undertaking training to become a psychotherapist. Um, the main areas of philosophy that I'm most interested in are obviously philosophy of emotions, so shame, but also guilt and love. And I'm also quite interested in, um, many related moral and political concepts like recognition, selfhood, intersubjectivity, forgiveness, that kind of thing. So
0: what was it that inspired you to study shame?
1: So the first time I ever thought about shame in a philosophical or academic sense was when I read Giorgio Agamben's chapter on shame in his 1999 book Remnants of Auschwitz, Um, and that was in an undergraduate philosophy course. Um, Basically, I enjoyed writing the paper on shame so much that I decided to do my honours thesis on shame and now my PhD thesis as well. Um, I think more generally, though, philosophy of emotions appeals to me as a field of study because I think it's more, it can be a lot more accessible to people outside of academia than a lot of other areas of philosophy, which can tend to be quite abstract or to require specialised knowledge. Um, so we all experience emotions, and I think even if some of us are more consciously aware of our emotions than others, knowing that there's this universal aspect means, um, I think it gives many people the sense that they can still meaningfully contribute to philosophical discussions about the emotions, even if they don't have a university education. Um, and It's also probably true that all writing on shame is partly autobiographical, um, that the work of most philosophers who write about shame is partly motivated and influenced by their own experiences of the emotions. And I'd be no different in that respect too.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, So would you have a
1: definition of shame? yes so in my definition shame is the emotion that we experience when our desire for connection goes unfulfilled and we experience this as a rejection or abandonment of our whole self that is due to our own defectiveness so in other words shame results from an absence of love from others um, and it makes us feel like who we are is fundamentally unlovable worthless or defective um, in this sense, I think we can see shame as in many ways opposed to love, um, both because it itself springs from an absence of love, and also because by condemning the whole self as worthless, shame seems to be, to me to be fundamentally incompatible with love for the self, um, at least in the moment that it is experienced. Um, and I should note that my conceptualization of shame here does differ somewhat from the traditional definition of shame, which is that shame results from one's failure to live up to certain standards, norms, or ideals. Um, I think that my conceptualization pays attention to what I think is the real reason that a failure to live up to a standard norm or ideal would even matter to us in the first place. And that is essentially our basic desire as humans to be loved and accepted by others. Is there a connection between shame and self-respect? So many philosophers think that a person needs to have self-respect in order to feel shame. Um, Essentially, they think this because if shame results from the failure to live up to certain self-standards as the traditional view goes then shame requires that the ashamed person have standards for themselves and having standards for oneself is essentially what is thought to make somebody self-respecting personally i think this idea that we need self-respect in order to be able to experience shame is misguided Um, as i've mentioned Um, To me, shame is not about falling short of certain standards or ideals, but more fundamentally, it's about suffering an absence of love or connection from others. Um, And so in my view, shame is more to do with our basic wish to be loved than it is about um, a failure of standards. And we don't need standards or therefore self-respect in order to have the wish that we be loved by others.
0: Are there any positives with feeling
1: shame? So especially in childhood, feeling shame can often have an adaptive function. Um, Children who experience abuse, neglect or frequent misattunement are actually likely to place blame for these negative experiences on themselves, um, that if they were fundamentally different as a person, these experiences would not have happened to them. And we can think of this as being adaptive in the sense that one, it stops the child from thinking that their own caregivers are the problem, which is a would be a terrifying thought at an age where you have no option but to rely on those caregivers to get your needs met. And two, it also gives the child a sense that there is something they can do to avoid these negative experiences from happening again. They can try to change or if that fails, they can try to hide who they are. Um, and this sense of agency or this way out isn't something that they would be able to get if they placed blame on their caregivers instead, um, whose behaviour they cannot hope to control. Mm. And What are the negatives with feeling shame? So although this shame-induced tendency to want to hide can protect us in this way in early childhood, um, feeling shame in adulthood can be especially unhelpful when it comes to taking moral action. And this is true for a few reasons. Firstly, the fact that shame is global, um, meaning that it concerns the whole of who we are as a person, um, often means that it's not very good at helping us understand precisely how we have transgressed or therefore how we might make amends for our transgression. And also because it condemns the whole self as worthless, Shame often doesn't encourage us to feel that we even deserve forgiveness, were we to try to make amends. Um, This is why shame often doesn't motivate genuine attempts at reparation, but instead often motivates the ashamed individual to hide or otherwise inhibit themselves. Um, Secondly, because shame results from an absence of love, on my account it has more to do with how lovable we are than with how morally upstanding we are and what this means is that the motivation that is produced by shame doesn't necessarily have anything to do with moral conscience Um, instead it much more so revolves around a fear of punishment that is social rejection from others Um, and in this sense shame makes us want to act in a way that restores love and acceptance from others but that is regardless of whether this does involve moral action or not.
0: Now, it's it's really interesting that you brought up that point because I had an incident with um, two of my dogs, um, Mm. Sunny and Stella, and I'd uh, mistakenly left a pizza box on the the floor near the bin. And that night they both got into it and they had a big pizza party. So I came out in the morning (laughs) and... There wasn't much left in the pizza box and I could tell by their stomachs that, you know, what they'd done. And Stella, who was like an older and wiser dog and a very obedient dog, she had her head down and Mm. she obviously felt shame for what she did. But Sonny, who probably, which I thought, um, had no idea that what she had done was wrong, she was all, you know, happy to see us and wagging her tail and everything, whereas, whereas Stella was very apprehensive. But you, you've actually brought up another point there. So maybe it wasn't the fact that I thought that um, Stella knew that she'd done something wrong.
1: Mm. It's tricky with um, that that case with dogs. That is brought up a lot and, yeah, the question is are they really feeling shame in that instance? Um or you know another suggestion is that they through past experiences know that we are going to be disappointed with them um and so it's more like a submissive action of like i know you're not going to be happy with me because i've done this thing rather than i feel like i'm you know transgressed i wasn't meant to eat pizza or something like that um but you know it's difficult to know exactly what is going on inside their minds, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. But no, I totally um, look at the situation very differently now. And Stella thought that, you know, she was, she was going to be in trouble and I was going to chastise Mm. her for eating the pizza, whereas Sonny thought, well, you know, it was there and I took it and I was entitled (laughs) to do that. So what's your problem? Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) So is it possible to force somebody to feel shame?
1: I don't think that it is. Um, There are many instances where people attempt to induce shame in others, but this shaming isn't successful because the target themselves doesn't believe, whether intellectually or emotionally, that they have anything to be ashamed of in that situation. So that might be like sunny. (laughs) Um, I think. For me, the fact that you can't force someone to feel shame explains why shame, when we do feel it, is so painful. It's because we recognize some truth in the negative self-judgment that another has about us. It feels as if it reveals some fundamental reality about who we are as a person. Um, And Sartre actually has this great line where he says that if someone else makes a judgment of me as shameful and I don't agree with it, I don't find it warranted in any way. It's like if they painted a bad portrait of me that made me look ugly, but not ugly in a way that I recognized as really being reflected in any way in my actual appearance. Um, and he says that this could make me feel angry or it could make me feel irritated, but it wouldn't make me feel ashamed of how I look. Um, that being said, I also don't think that shame is entirely autonomous either. Um, because shame is an inherently social emotion it always requires an audience whether that be real or internalized and in that sense self-condemnation alone isn't enough to produce shame instead i would argue that shame is both social and personal so it originates in our relationships with others and is subsequently echoed within our relationship to ourselves
0: hmm so do you think that it's possible to overcome the emotion of shame
1: absolutely um i definitely think it's possible i do think that to truly overcome shame it's unlikely to come through insight alone so for instance just having the discursive knowledge or realization that you aren't aren't in fact totally worthless wouldn't be enough to dispel shame i think it that knowledge needs to be accompanied by a much deeper more fundamental shift in how you feel about yourself um, on an effective level Um, often in both the conscious and the subconscious realm of emotional experience Um, in other words it would be an emotional rather than an intellectual process right
0: So is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered?
1: So I would like to add some food for thought about shaming and the role that it can play in society. Um, One thing I'd like to suggest is that when we think about what potential moral advantages might be brought about by shaming individual perpetrators, um, whether that be just punishment or recognition of their own wrongdoing or perhaps justice for victims, I would urge that we also consider how systemic factors like capitalism, neoliberalism, patriarchy, racism have contributed to that particular instance of wrongdoing aside from the perpetrator's character. And that we think deeply about whether shaming this person will do anything to challenge or even bring awareness to these collective social dynamics. Um, As the feminist philosopher Jill Locke has argued in her book, Democracy and the Death of Shame, the lament that shame is dead and the general diagnosis um, of society as shameless um, as being the culprit to what ails us currently actually encourages an emphasis on individual ethical reflection and this only serves to obscure the broader social context in which these Egregious acts emerge and are exercised.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point because uh, it's quite frustrating. I think when I when I speak to people who aren't political and mm. they sort of have this idea that if somebody is receiving social security and for some reason you know they they got extra extra benefits or or even if somebody's dishonest and they're claiming two lots of social security. I mean, that seems to be in society. Oh, that, that's an awful thing to do. They should be ashamed of themselves. Mm. But And you, you hear that quite a bit. Yeah. But how many people do you hear saying, well, Murdoch should be damn ashamed of himself. Look how much money he's getting in tax refunds. And the other people that are the 1%, the 1% of the wealthiest people in society, I'm sure they don't feel any shame, do they? And I mean, no one even mm. speaks about... Um, them feeling shame. They seem to be, oh well, they're the elite. They're they're above anything like that. They can do no wrong in a capitalist society.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that um, you know, I always think with the idea that somebody is like, you know, um, called like a dole bludger or something like that. That the you know idea that they are deceiving the system in order to get more money to me rather than um telling me something specific about who that person is as as an individual and what their moral values are um i mean it might tell you that but i think it also points toward a much broader issue which is you know why does this person feel like they have to do that in order to get money to survive um that doesn't you know seem like an ideal state of affairs that they sort of have to do those kinds of things in order to get more money and it's not even that much money anyway. Um and I also think with the point about Murdoch or people in the 1% um yeah there's at the same time as there is I think I would I do see people calling for those people to have more shame. Um but then there's also like you pointed out people who maybe think that they sort of uh, it's a meritocracy and they sort of deserve to be amassing that much wealth because it's an indication of their talent or something. I think even with the idea that uh, I just caution the idea that the solution is that people like Murdoch need to experience more shame in that I think that the idea like um, Jill Locke argues that we just need these individuals to feel more you know bad about what they're doing or who they are it, it just doesn't really seem to touch on the broader context like you know as you said i mean capitalism would play a very big role in how he has managed to amass so much wealth and have such a monopoly and yeah to me that is a very important um factor which i don't think is is often highlighted by shaming practices especially when they very much focus on the individual or even like one institution
0: yeah that's right and um yeah as you mentioned before about public shaming it it seems to be a bit of a thing doesn't it and and it sort of I think it started off with shaming your your dog because they've <laughs> done something wrong I mean like as if they're going to understand because it's mm. you know very much a, a human concept and then it sort of went on to people shaming their friends which is you know it's quite an awful thing to do isn't it
1: mm. yeah I mean it's um that I mean there's a certain type of shaming I think that certainly is not just attempted to be justified in the philosophical literature and that is shaming that's based on oppression um, which I think does account for a lot of shaming even if it's not explicit a lot of people from oppressed groups do experience shame about you know the um, their membership to those oppressed groups very often Um, and that isn't yeah I mean, nobody, no philosopher I am aware of is trying to justify that. Um, but I, I think shaming is held up by a lot of people as a potential solution. Interestingly, a lot of the people who are proponents of shaming actually are those who have experienced shaming as a member of an oppressed group. And they sort of want to, I guess, take that tool and use it against the oppressors, um, so, yeah, it, it really uh, is quite popular in a lot of ways. Mm,
0: yeah. Well, it's been great speaking to you and thanks for, so much for coming onto the
1: program. No worries. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And I've been speaking with Madeline Shield about shame. That's all we have time for today.